You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. There you go. So it's fantastic, isn't it? That's, I, that, I, and what I'd like to talk about is just that little phrase at the end. Uh, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I'd like to show you something. <clears throat> it's a house. Well, a grow of houses in Peckham. Uh, this is just along from one that Oasis owns. Um, um, in fact, it's the first piece of property that was ever any part of Oasis. We call it number three. That's not number three in the street. That's number 30. They all look pretty smart now. When uh, we bought uh, this property, I should say when I bought it, because I was the only person in Oasis, um, none of the houses looked like this. They were all falling apart. Um, I knew uh, that I uh, should begin some work in Croydon. And I wanted to start, when I grew up, a school and a hospital and a house for kids to come and live in. And Cornelia, my wife, told me that we'd best start a house because it was simpler than starting the other things. Probably wise of her. And uh, I knew that I needed to go and do this in Peckham for all sorts of things. I'd worked in Peckham as a student when I was doing theology um, and actually lived with Dick and Diane Blackler, who many of you now know, um, in their spare bedroom as I was, I was doing all of that. So I knew that I needed to start this house in Peckham. The problem was there weren't any estate agents in Peckham. No one wanted to live in Peckham. The roads were deserted in Peckham. They really were. But in spite of that, I didn't have even enough money to buy one of the empty houses. And a few miracles took place. And um, one, one uh, morning, uh, somebody rang me, a very old elderly lady, and she said to me, are you Steve? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I've heard you want to start a hostel. And I said, oh, how did you hear that? And she said, well, somebody told me, but I came to hear you speak years ago and you talked about it then. So she said, well, I've got a hostel and you can have it. And I said, wow, that's good. I said, where is it? She said, it's in Croydon. It's fantastic. It's got a giant garden. It's near Shirley Hills. Shirley Hills is a posh place. And she said, it's, it's detached. You can have it because I know God's told me to give it to you. So I thanked her and I sat down and thought about it. But I thought to myself, I don't think I should be starting a house in Croydon, especially in Shirley Hills, as nice as it is. In fact, because it's nice. I think I should be starting a house in Peckham. So I, wrote, I rang her back and I said to her, I said, I'm ever so sorry I've got to turn you down because 
I'm supposed to start a house in Peckham, not Croydon. So she said, oh, well, there you go. That was the end of that uh, conversation. A few weeks later, she rang me back. Her name was Mrs. Scroggy. She rang me back and she said, I've been talking to my husband. And because you don't want our house in Croydon, we realise you must be the person to give it to. Honestly true. And she said, but we know you don't want it. So we're going to sell it. And after we've sold it, we'll give you all the money you need to buy a house in Peckham. And so we bought a house in Peckham. It looked just like this from the street, kind of two up, two down. Ours is a bit further down the road. But in actual fact... Because it was illegally extended by Sainsbury's years and years ago um, when they wanted to use it as a training base but didn't get planning permission, it looks like that from the outside but has 16 bedrooms. Because they built all the way down the back garden, all the way through to a little shop. Sainsbury's didn't used to run supermarkets, they used to run little stores. And they built all the way through to their little store on what's called Rye Lane in Peckham. This building was falling apart. Who wants to buy a 16-bedroom house that looks like that, that's long and thin? It didn't have a roof. It didn't have stairs. But we were given that house. The story I want to tell you, though, is this. I went to see the head of housing of Southwark, Southwark Council. And I said, my name's Steve, and we are going to start, my wife and I, a hostel for kids who've got nowhere to go. He looked at me, and I promise you he said this. I wrote about it years later. He said, you will never start a hostel in Southwark. I said, why not? And this is what he said. Number one, you're a Christian, and we don't want Christians providing housing in Southwark for anyone. I remember saying to him, it sounded pretty definitive, <laughs> well, what's the second reason? And he said, the second reason is, you're the worst kind of Christian. I said, what's that? He said, an evangelical one. I said, oh. I said, well, what's the third reason? He said, not only are you a Christian and an evangelical Christian, you are an evangelical Christian minister. For those three reasons, you will never start a hostel in Peckham or Southwark or it will be over my dead body. The truth is, about three years later, we opened the hostel in Peckham. Here are some of the first girls uh, and a guy that came to live with us. Now, um, the hostel in Peckham just caters for uh, girls. In the early days, when I set it up, it catered for girls and boys, as you can see. That was a mistake. <laughs>
a very big mistake. So now, for the last 25 years or so, perhaps more than that, we've just looked after girls. This is someone who was born to us not so long ago. A beautiful new life filled with hope. Over the years that we've worked there, some 30-something years now, since the late 80s, um, all sorts of things have happened. Cornelia decided that we should call that house Oasis because it was a place of a new beginning in the desert of life for these young people. And I set up a charity called Oasis to run that house. And that is where Oasis came from. But another thing happened. It's this. About four years ago, three and a half years ago, I, my memory's bad, Southwark Council rang us up. And by now, of course, they've got used to working with us. In fact, we had the best outcomes of any supported housing in the borough of Southwark for uh, care leavers, young, vulnerable people. And so they rang us up and they said, would you take responsibility for all the supported housing for young people leaving care in Southwark? And that is what we do today. In words similar to those that uh, Nathan put on the screen for us, when the last Christmas carol has been sung, when the star in the sky has disappeared, that miracle, then the work of Christmas really begins. The work of Bethlehem really begins. To engage with people in their lives, to offer support, to offer home, to be and to offer a light of hope to those who lack it. That's why we've left these candles burning this morning. Because it's our task as a community and as individuals to carry the light of Christmas, the light of Bethlehem, into the situations we live in our streets, our jobs, our homes, our families, our friends. The extraordinary story that um, we've just read from Luke's Gospel is really lost on us completely, even though we try hard to remember it. It kind of sounds so quaint, doesn't it? I guess when I said I was going to read the story of the shepherds, we'd get ready for a bit of nostalgia again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. How wonderful. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. How glorious. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were afraid. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all the people. Today in the town 
of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And then the shepherds say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. For the first several hundred years, when anybody read that story, they wouldn't have felt nostalgia. They would have just felt revolution. Luke deliberately writes a passage that is so politically charged, it's impossible for anyone from our culture and our generation to understand the depth of it. Luke knew that Jesus' birth had huge significance. So he tells us this, that when the angels announced uh, to the shepherds that a saviour has been born, the saviour, the angels said, is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the saviour. In Palestine, there was already a saviour. There was already a Lord. There was already a Messiah. And he was called Caesar Augustus. He was the man who brought together the Roman emperor, empire. Until then it had been a republic of, of loosely knitted countries. He turned it into an empire. And when Jesus was born, he was Caesar. He was on the throne. And deliberately he called himself God and Lord. Here's his inscription, which was printed time and time again, etched into statues in towns and villages around the empire. Divine Augustus Caesar, he wrote of himself. Son of God, emperor of land and sea, benefactor and saviour of the whole world, I bring you peace. But the people knew it was no peace. They knew that Rome had no care for them. So when Luke writes that the angels say to the shepherds, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, real joy, because today in the town of David, a saviour's been born, and he is the Messiah, and he is the Lord, that was an affront to the system. And the other account of Jesus' birth is in Matthew's Gospel. And in Matthew's Gospel, he gets the politics too. Because, he says, the wise travellers, the magi, came looking for the king of the Jews because their scriptures told them the king had been born. Herod, however, was already the king of the Jews. Again, it's a massive political statement. He takes, and he takes extreme measures, doesn't he, Herod, to wipe out this new king. If Herod hadn't interpreted Jesus' birth as a massive political threat, why would he have wiped out a whole town of children? My point is simply this. Rome 
and the empire has nothing to do with Bethlehem. Everybody looked past Bethlehem because they looked to Caesar for power. They looked to Rome and they looked to Jerusalem, to Herod. But Jesus, the real saviour of the world, was born in Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Back in Peckham in the mid-80s, the head of housing said to me, it will be over my dead body. We don't want you here. But the way wasn't to fight. The way forward was to serve. To serve children like this. To serve young people who had nowhere. And through choosing the way of Bethlehem, instead of the way of Rome, slowly the world is changed. Here's a prayer that was prayed by Henry Nguyen, which I posted up in one of the talks I gave, I think, a month or so ago. Henry Nguyen says, ask yourself this question in prayer. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? I must trust that the little bit of love that I sow now will bear many fruits in this world and the world to come. The light of Bethlehem is the light we carry into this year. So my challenge to myself and scripture's challenge to you is will you go to Bethlehem and will you in 2023 carry the light and hope of Bethlehem forward? A different Lord, a different saviour, a different Messiah to the one that's constantly on offer in our culture too. Will we travel to Bethlehem and when will, will we live out this calling which is ours? Let me pray for you. Did I offer peace today? Will I offer peace this year? Will I bring a smile to someone's face? Will I say words of healing? Will I let go of my anger and resentment? Will I forgive? Will I love? Lord, we trust that the love that we sow now, this year, in 2023, will bear many fruits in this world and in the world to come. We come to Bethlehem and from Bethlehem we will bring good news to the world.